0: Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Country Music Made Me. Thank you so much for joining us once again. If you haven't already, please be sure to check out our website, countrymusicmademe.com. There you can listen to all of our episodes and you can sign up for our newsletter, which will allow you to receive exclusive content like previews of upcoming episodes and fan-asked questions. There, you can submit your questions for upcoming interviews, and we will ask those questions and feature them in the podcast. So just head to countrymusicmademe.com and hit subscribe. Now, on to today's episode. Today, we're joined by Nate Smith. He is an up-and-comer in Nashville, but his journey didn't begin just back in 2020 when he released his debut EP, it actually began way back in 2008 when he made his first trip to nashville at that time he was set for a career in country music unfortunately things didn't work out the way they were supposed to and after a few years he moved back home to paradise california and he really forgot about music he didn't have any plans of returning back to nashville But then in 2018, a wildfire tore through paradise and everything changed. A series of events would lead Nate not only back to music, but also back to Nashville. And all of a sudden, after just two years in Music City, he has a career in country music and a newfound passion for country music and for the journey that he is on. So please enjoy our conversation with Nate Smith. I read that singing kind of came around when you were nine. The guitar came around around 13. But before that, your mom, I believe, was a country music nut. And (laughs) so is that sort of what influenced you when you were younger? Was it sort of music around the house that influenced you back then?
1: Yeah, it was, it was a combination. I found a, a video recently. We were going through all my, uh, like home videos. And there's actually the first song I think I ever sang was, it was Johnny Be Good. Um, but I said the F word in it at the age of three. Like a <laughs> guitar. And, uh, my parents were like, you must've picked it up on the playground. I don't know why he's, he's talking like this. And there was this whole thing. But, um, but my, I mean, I remember my furly my first memories were like dancing around to Michael Jackson, like as a kid, just like, oh, like, like my mom was blasting that. Um, but honestly, the first um, memory I have of country was at my grandparents house, you know, with like Patsy Cline and and that kind of a generation of music. And, and my mom, um, I remember she used to play a lot of Alan Jackson and Garth Brooks around the house and stuff. So I definitely got my my early foundation of country through that. Um, but I started singing. Um, yeah. I mean, like nine years old, I tried to like emulate Garth's Garth's voice, you know, and I was right, trying to, yeah. try to like him and like like champagne and like do like this like little like little thing with my voice and it drove my little brother nuts like actually drove him nuts and then i started like listening to elvis i was obsessed with jailhouse rock it was just on repeat on my talk boy i had a talk boy <laughs> nice and i would just play it all night like uh-huh, uh-huh. and my brother would be like dude come on like oh it drove him nuts but that's where I started. And I, I just, I don't know. I just, I just, I just naturally, no one told me to sing or, or anything. I just like doing it, I guess, you know? Well,
0: that's the thing you say at the age of three, you were already strumming on the plastic guitar and dancing around and performing. So was there anyone in the family who had that as well? Or did you really just pick that up naturally yourself at that young of an age?
1: My dad, um, it's it's kind of crazy. My dad actually believes that he's he's good at singing. Um, and it's like the craziest thing to watch him. He's the most confident, terrible singer you'll ever hear in your life. <laughs> uh, so I, think, I think it like did something where it encouraged me to at least try. Uh, but even when I go visit him now, he's like, son, look at this. I, could, I really got that Tennessee whiskey down now. He's like, I'm like, yeah, it's so bad. It's so bad. Like, You're actually on pitch. You really are, but it just sounds bad. It just sounds like nobody in my family,
0: nobody sang. no, no. Like not even your grandparents who you went over to listen to their album. No,
1: did not sing. Yeah. I don't know how, I mean, the only musical thing I can think of my dad played cornet in the marching band. Oh, okay. That's about it. Yeah. (laughs) And so at the
0: age of nine, when you began to sing, was it a natural thing or did you have to work at it and put in some effort to sort oh. of gain your voice?
1: Pitch came natural. Pitch came natural. Like where I could, I could sing on key at least. Uh, but how to sing and like have a timbre and, and like, like gravel and all this stuff like that, that took a lot of work. And um, I think the, where I started like learning to sing a little bit more, like my, my, my tutor, I guess, if you could put it, I downloaded this program called acid pro um,
0: okay. when I was like,
1: 12 or 13 and it was a stupid computer program that I was using to record like multi-tracks and I would record myself and I'd listen back and be like that's really bad and then I'd try it again and oh that's even worse and then I would like I would do that for hours and hours and I started like harmonizing with myself and like learning how that worked and I remember like giving my my dad and and grandma and everybody for Christmas like a a CD I made of like a song I need to find that somewhere (laughs) but um, yeah really bad really bad (laughs)
0: wow and then so when you pick up the guitar around the age of 13 was that something that it was you wanted to do it for fun or at that point did you really have this urge to create music and to see where you could take it
1: I'm trying to remember I was at a I was at my cousin's house and there was a guitar laying around and at this time I was listening to um Creed a lot
0: oh, okay and yeah
1: a band called stained yep um, for sure and, and blink 182 i was like upset i was obsessed with Blink 182 and i just wanted to learn how to play uh damn it and i wanted to learn how to play What's my age again and some of these other songs so i just right. kept this guitar and i was like this is crazy and my my cousin was like you just kind of like pluck it like this i'm like okay ow that hurt my finger you know and then eventually i asked my dad i just i just i don't know i had a curiosity to it i, I kind of liked it i don't know if i planned on being like a songwriter necessarily or anything like that but yeah after I learned how to play and sing at the same time, which was like a huge step, um, I, I just kind of started mumbling my own words and stuff. And the songs didn't even make any sense. But like I, I tried to create melodies and things like that pretty much just naturally. I didn't really think about it.
0: Wow. And so what age was that where you started sort of trying to craft an actual song and getting into learning how to do that?
1: I'd say between like 13 and 16, kind of in that in that area, I was playing almost every day. My brother would be out playing sports and I'm like, I just want to write a song and <laughs> sit in there with my like homemade Blink-182 posters and just try to make music and stuff. And um, uh, yeah, I mean, it just, it was just a natural thing, you know, I'd say between those ages. So
0: that's awesome. And with Blink-182 and Stained and Creed and those rock bands being a big influence at that time, when did the country influence start to take over?
1: Probably, honestly, a bit later, I would say sometime around like 2000, I'm just gonna throw it like eight, 2008, maybe oh, okay. somewhere in there. Um, I just started listening to more of it and just kind of getting back to like the roots of what I did. And I th- had this realization where I was listening to all the songs because I made it, I made like a record here in Nashville before I left around that time, 2009. Um, and, and I realized my buddies were like, you're naturally kind of writing country music, your formula, like your melody choices like stuff like that. Cause there's a lot of Hootie and the Blowfish mixed into what I do and, 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 just choices like that. Right. And I just felt like, honestly, it was the weirdest thing. It just felt natural. It, it felt like I was trying to try all these different genres and and try. Um, I, I didn't have a very good rock voice, like punk rock voice. My voice, like it just didn't sound right and stuff, but that's the one where it was like, I don't have to try. And it just kind of came out naturally. And like, I, I felt myself kind of doing inclinations that sounded sort of Garthy in some ways and And I don't know, just, it felt right to me. And then I just kind of would write some of that, but I would still write rock and pop and and I just kind of like everything, but um, that's the one that really grabbed me. And then when I just really started diving into it, I just, I don't know. I felt like it just like, it felt so real to me, you know, and it made sense with like the way that I want to write songs and everything. So um, that's what I love about country music so much is that uh, it gives you the ability to like really write something that can literally stop you in your tracks, just kind of, you know, get (laughs) you
0: right yeah and so around the age of 23 i believe that was around 2008 2009 you made the decision to go to nashville now growing up in california nashville is a long way away so what sort of drew you there like what gave you that thought that hey i should go there and i should try and make this a thing
1: uh we have to back up a little bit then um i uh, when i was when i was turning 18 i chose not to graduate high school so i i just hopped in my car my buddy moved to Oregon; he was starting a rock band um and i, I drove up there to be part of this band uh so oh, i was okay. sleeping on a couch in a warehouse um staying at friends' houses working at fred meyer quit fred meyer because i had to push shopping carts in the rain and i just wasn't capable of doing something like that i guess but <laughs> uh, like this is just this is this is honestly abuse i'd say it is uh you know, like, um, I went up there and it it I was up there for almost a year and it just didn't quite work out. And, uh, I came back home to paradise and, um, started working on some solo kind of stuff, started working with a a producer in town from a band called number one gun back back in the day, they were a a Christian rock band. And then, um, I moved to, um, orange County to try and and make it and try to be the next Ryan Cabrera or something, you know, and and (laughs) went down there and, uh, I ended up getting meetings with, I, I, so I, I, I would buy CDs and I would look up like the, um, like the credits and stuff. And I would right. like, okay, what's an a Okay. Let me learn about this. And this is in the MySpace days. And like, I ended up hitting up some A&Rs, uh, one at Atlantic and one at Maverick records. I got meetings with both of them. I couldn't really, really just, just from like being on there and just like, like sending them my music and stuff like that. They're willing to meet with me. So I met with them. It was like, ah, we're not sure, you know, that kind of thing, but it was still like, wow, I got to meet with these big labels. And then, um, a Christian label out of um, Nashville reached out and was like, um, word records. And this guy named Connor reached out to me and was like, Hey, I really like what you're doing. Would you be willing to fly out here? And, um, and, uh, try to, uh, try to record with us and see what that looks like and stuff. So I flew out and did a development deal with word. Um, and then they were like, Hey, we actually want to sign you to a record deal. So that's what made me move out there was I had a record deal on the table and I was like, that's, I'm going to make it mom and (laughs) dad. this is it, you know, so that's what started my process to moving out here.
0: Wow. And now the second time that you've come to Nashville, we'll talk about that later, but it feels like, there's a lot of humility within your journey now but back then when you're in your early 20s and you're headed to Nashville with a record deal on the table are you going there with humility or are you going there thinking I am a rock star I've made it look at me look at how important I am look at how awesome I am
1: I didn't know what I had you know what I mean I, I really think that and and I just didn't really like I wasn't I really wasn't. I don't even know if I am now, but I definitely wasn't mature enough then, you know, um, I for sure was. I didn't understand. And I remember I, I sat down with the label and they're like, so what's your story? I'm like, what's the story? What do you mean? Like, what is that? What does that mean? Like, I didn't even have a story, you know, like I was like, I don't know. I play guitar. I like songs, you know, like I just didn't know what I was doing. And, right. Uh, yeah. I'd say uh, I just I was just young and, and kind of dumb and, and foolish and um, but also had a had a, a brave heart to, to move out there and, and risk some things to, to do it, you know. Yeah, um, but, uh, it, it just ended pretty sad. Cause I, long story short with the, the first trip is I, um, my, my deal fell through, um, my a quit the label. And sometimes that happens, you know, in labels where they shift people. And so it fell through And I'm like, no, what am I going to do? I live here and all this. Right. And I ended up signing up a, a publishing deal, uh, with centricity music before they had Lauren Daigle and like all these other folks. And, um, yeah, I ended up signing over there and writing songs for three years. Um, in the midst of that, I was mar- I got married. I-, I got eloped. It was like a, it was a, it was a very passionate, exciting time. I was 23 and just like, let's go. Just right, like, yeah. And it and it really didn't work out for both of us. Um, it was a really painful thing for both of us. And um, we uh, we ended up divorcing. So um, because of how hard that was for me and, and her and everything, just decided that I would I would move back to California and and try to heal up and do some other steps. So when I left Nashville for the first time. I was never coming back ever in a million years. I was never returning. I didn't want to be here. Didn't want to think about the pain that I went through. That was it.
0: And so as far as the music goes, I mean, you didn't want to be in Nashville at that point, but was music still on your mind? Were you still thinking maybe I'll do music somewhere else? Or was it really the whole music world that you wanted to leave behind?
1: Yeah. I mean, music's just kind of in my in my blood now and in my DNA, it's something that I love and I I crave and I I love to be creative and stuff. So I definitely was like messing around with stuff in garage band and all that stuff over those years. Um, and, and writing a little bit from here and there, but I was, uh, more so like at church, I was helping out as a worship leader for a few years at a church in Sacramento. And, um, my brother's church in paradise is kind of where I led up to the fire and stuff, but yeah, uh, so my music, I was just going to use it for that. So I was helping like raise up kids, like Showing them how to lead and like how to, how to kind of sort of construct songs because I had a little bit of a little bit of know how from my first trip out there writing with people that are way better than me and stuff so um, that was with the extent of what I thought music was going to be for me because I was working in nursing I wanted to be a nurse um, and I was working in ICU and that was kind of my plan so um, it wasn't on my radar to be an artist ever again and it definitely wasn't on my radar to ever move to Nashville again in a million years so.
0: Right. And now the big turning point was 2018 and the fire in paradise. Now, how many years was it between when did you return from Nashville uh, before 2018? How many years were in between there?
1: It would have been around 2011 is when I when I moved back and then 2018 would have been the fire. So, yeah.
0: Right. And now talk about that day. It was November 8th of 2018. Mm-hmm. you're living in paradise. Yep. And this fire breaks out. Now I, I heard you talk about the fact that you had an appointment just outside of town. Yes. That morning, and so you left for your appointment. Yes. And basically that saved your life.
1: Oh my gosh. It, it totally did. Cause there's a, I don't know where, how to find it, but there was a fire map where you could like scroll, like the time-lapse of the fire where it hit like on this map and stuff. Right. If I was there a couple more hours. I wouldn't have been getting out, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it looks like to me. So, um, yeah, I had a doctor's appointment that morning. My mom had texted me, said there's a fire in the area. There's always a fire in California. So I wasn't even worried about it. Honestly, I wasn't right. Um, but yeah, I got to Chico where my dad um, had a house and after my doctor's appointment, I I looked back up and I'm like, Oh my God, it looked like Armageddon up there. And then like my brother's like, we're having a hard time getting out of here. And it was a really, really scary time, but everybody in my family made it. We lost everything, but we made it and we're okay. So, um, Moved, we all moved in with my dad <laughs> within a day um, and we we're all living there, just took over his house. <laughs> wow. I'm so that- thankful for that.
0: And for people who don't know what happened, I read that there was eighteen thousand structures destroyed within that fire, and most of them were destroyed within the first four hours mm-hmm. of the fire. So that's how quickly it ripped through. And I mean, how quickly people had to get out. And I know that you have gone back for photo shoots and and for some stuff over the last couple of years since that happened. So, what is that like for you? Is it difficult or are you able to sort of remember the good times and yeah. not get too down?
1: Yeah. I mean, you can't help but like like feel a little sadness because there's just there's just kind of like a I don't know if reverence is the right way to put it, but you feel it when you go there. But um it's okay now. You know, it feels like I'm 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 all right to be there and stuff like that. So um, but it definitely has a special place in my heart. They're rebuilding and I haven't been in a little while. So um, it would be cool to go back on one of these anniversary uh, dates and and doing something there, like a show or
0: yeah, right. And so soon after that was when music started to come pouring back to you. And I read that one of the turning points was you borrowed a guitar from a friend and you started to write. And there was a very special song that came out of that. But just talk about that time. And when you picked the guitar back up and, what it felt like was it sort of an instant feeling of this is what I need, this is what I need to push forward, or was it just something at the time that you picked up just to soothe yourself for a little bit of time?
1: That's such a good question, man. Um, so what had happened is I lost everything I had, including the guitars that I had and stuff like that. And um, a friend of mine named Tom, he plays bass for for uh, FGL. And, oh, okay. um, he, he reached out to call instruments and, um, cause they had done some work with FGL, I think, or something. And they surprised me and sent me a guitar to have, uh, oh, wow. on my front doorstep. So I, I, I literally went to my dad's door one day and I was like, Oh my God, there's a guitar here. Like it was like, so I was like literally blown away. Like I couldn't believe it. So that, um, it really meant a lot to me. And, um, yeah, so, uh, I ended up picking it up and yeah, I did, I did have a, a a brief thought where I thought like, it would be cool to, to do something to like help or make a difference, you know, and, and like something to kind of like bring people together and encourage them and like bring some hope to the situation and music can do that, you know, and that's where the idea, um, came for the song, but it was also kind of like helping to heal myself and maybe it was talking myself into it's going to be all right. One of these days, this is going to get better and, and, and all this stuff. And then, um, it up on uh facebook and uh it just it was cool to see people connecting you know with with it and just being something that like could make a little bit of a difference in some way or another and 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 yeah it was it was pretty special to see people come around that song so
0: once you wrote that song was it pretty instant that you sort of started to look at playing shows and getting back out there
1: uh it wasn't even it wasn't even on the radar that was the thing it was like i was doing interviews with uh Fox and ABC and, and, and NPR even um, oh, okay. just talking about the fire, talking about the song. It just came to me. I wasn't like, Hey, can I get an interview? Like it was, it was just like, because there was so much buzz around the fire. Like people were just calling you and reaching out and you just say, yeah, and, and you do it. And then, I don't know, this opportunity came by the first opportunity was, do you want to open up for Pitbull and ex ambassadors at your, the, our local arena? And and <laughs> right play and it was like for for uh, for the fire cause and stuff i'm like right me? yeah that's amazing of course i will and, and me and my buddy skip colton went up there and played and um i had him sing he wrote a song about paradise too so he sang one and and i sang my song and it was a special thing and it was like wow and then people were reaching out do you want to play this event and that kind of stuff and oh okay it just kind of started happening yeah i wasn't like even again i it, it felt like something else was guiding me i wasn't trying to like even really pursue it. But then eventually it was like, okay, I guess I got to get my, get my butt in gear here, I guess, you know? And so eventually started a band and stuff. So.
0: Yeah. And when was your first trip back to Nashville?
1: That would have been sometime in 2019. Um, and it was the first time I'd ever been back. Um, right. And it was to record one of these days, um, the actual recording of it um, with a friend of mine that I knew from a long time ago. And then I had another friend uh, mix it is, and his name was Joel. Uh, Briere, who actually ended up being like my, one of my main producers for, uh, the music that I have out right now, he's produced, um, sleeve and under my skin and I don't want to go to heaven and everything that I have out wildfire, all that stuff. So, right. um, but yeah, my first trip back, I was just like, what if I run into my ex-wife? Like, you know, like, and what, if, you know what I mean? Like, it was just like this weird thing. Like I, we haven't talked in years and stuff. And, uh, I don't know. I just, and I just left so sad and everything. And like, I don't know, it just kind of, it was, it was a big deal to come back. Well, that's what
0: I was wondering. Like you go home to your hometown that has burned down. That is no longer there. You go back there and you have to have a heavy heart and it must be difficult, but returning to Nashville for that first time, was that almost more difficult,
1: different, different, just different, difficult, you know? Right. It was just kind of scary. You know, I was like, gosh, I, I left so sad and, and like went through so much and just, I don't know. It brought back a little bit of anxiety. I, I feel like, but I also was kind of like, okay, it's a new year. Like, it's been a while. Like maybe this is supposed to happen, you know? And I, I definitely had like um, the idea of like, I'm um, getting this song done on my mind and, and, and all that stuff. So.
0: And did you have helped. to talk yourself into it when first making that first trip to Nashville? Was there some time of, no, I'm not going to go, but I have to go. No, I'm not going to go, but I have to go.
1: I was scared. I was, I was definitely scared to come back. Yeah, I really was. But uh, it was just kind of like, this is, this, is, this song's for other people and and I want to make a difference. And that's the thing that got me. The more I make everything in my life about other people, the easier going through things is, or or doing things that seem a little scary or like playing this show, like where there's a bunch of people out there. It's a scary thing, but I'm like, it's for them. You know what I mean? Like, it's not about me. Like, at all. You know, I'm just a messenger of song. So, uh, that's when, when my mind stays there, I'm in a good place.
0: And so that mindset of this isn't for me, I'm the messenger that first time that you went to Nashville, is it a much different mindset now with having that mindset?
1: Yeah. I kind of had to, I, I sort of evolved into this, you know, and, and just realized this is how I actually feel at the core of everything. And like, it's been a process. Cause, uh, I don't want to skip too far ahead, but just when I, when I first signed my publishing deal with Sony, I was like, literally like my calendar filled up with rights and, and then big meetings with like big heads of people and, and and like CEOs of things and stuff. And dude, it was a rude awakening. And I was literally every meeting I go into, my heart was like beating out of my chest. And I didn't, there was times where I'm like, I know this sounds bad because this is such an amazing opportunity. I don't think I can do this. Like I was like, Like, what have I got myself into? Like, this is so scary. Well,
0: yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. I was going to ask you about the anxiety that is tied with the early days of starting this career because of that, because you're going to a, town where everybody wants to do this you're being thrown almost to the wolves with going to these big record labels and big companies to talk to them and I know that imposter syndrome is something that a lot of people deal with in Nashville when they get success really quickly because it's like I shouldn't be here what am I doing and so when you first started that journey in 2019 of making your way towards what you are now was there anxiety that you had to deal with and had to overcome
1: oh yeah like i called my friends from home skips one of my my best buddies i called him up i sound like a, like i cry a lot um, i swear <laughs> i don't um, i called him up i was in tears man i was like what am i doing why am i doing this man you're doing it to help people okay all right i just god it's so scary you know like it, it should be like all this everybody's like aren't you excited i'm like no No, I I mean, I am, but I'm not, I'm I'm scared. I'm more scared than excited. And then there was a shift where like, eventually I got to a place where I was like, yeah, man, this is about them. This is about making a difference. And that's kind of, that was sort of a turning point. I can't really pinpoint exactly when that happened, but like when I got to that point in my mind, everything's been a lot easier. I still get nervous getting on stage. I still get nervous in some of these meetings and stuff, but I can, I can do it a lot better now, you know?
0: at that point, when you went to Nashville and recorded that song, did you have the mindset that I want to make this my career again? Or did that take a little more time to develop that mindset?
1: Yes, that took a minute. That took a minute. This at this point was like, why don't I utilize the contacts that I have in Nashville to record something professional that um, I can use to raise money to help other victims. And that's exactly what I did. So everything that I made on it, and it wasn't a whole lot of money, but Everything I made, I ended up giving to this um, single mom um, with some kids and she was trying to relocate somewhere else. And I just literally like surprised her and like uh, showed up and just gave her all the money. And was like, all right, like go make make a new life, you know, and and it felt like that was so worth it to me, you know. Um, So that was that was my only goal at that point.
0: Yeah. And Joel, now you produced that song with him and you mentioned that he has basically been your producer all the way along. So what is he meant to helping build your confidence and helping you turn this into a career?
1: That That is really hard to talk about because uh, uh, it's it's so deep. It, 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 Joel is my best friend. Um, and uh, he we've had so many conversations on the phone. I, I can't even tell you how many times where he's like walked me through really difficult conversations. Um, he's the person that literally was like, at one point, Cause I, I I paid him to make the the first EP I did and stuff, and then at one point he goes, you know what, I believe in you so much, Nate. He's like, no charge, like whatever you want. And I'm like, are you kidding me? You were in my favorite Christian rock band, one of them when I was a kid called Thousand Foot Crutch. You know? Oh, okay, and I, I, yeah. He was the uh, bass player in that band and oh, wow. stuff from Canada, and um, just a good dude. And um, but here he is going like, you have free reign of my studio, and and I want to work with you, and. And uh, it, it was a working relationship at first, but it, it really developed into a deep, deep, deep friendship. And he is my number one go-to person with anything that I have come up in my life. I call him first, um, honestly. Um, and then my family as well and stuff. But like localized, he's the person that I can reach out to at one in the morning and, and he'll talk to me for two hours, three hours and give me such solid advice. So Joel's more than a friend. He's a mentor and somebody that I can I can truly lean on. He's just I can't believe I get to call him friend. Honestly, I'm so lucky.
0: That is so awesome. And so it was July 1st, 2020, that you officially began the move to Nashville. Now, what was the journey of 2019 and the beginning of 2020 like in coming to that decision?
1: Yeah. uh, One of my friends uh, that was playing in the, he was kind of, I had some guys helping me out with my band and trying to get me um, like I had a drummer and a guitar player and stuff like that um, for some of these shows we were doing and everything. And um, the the drummer that I was playing with was named Brandon. And he was like, you know, man, he's like living here in Chico. It's not hurting you, but it's hindering you, you know? Right. And I was like, okay. And he's like, you should think about, just think about going back. And I'm like, Oh dude, dude, no. And, uh, I prayed a lot. I thought about it. I talked to family, just the opportunities. And it was like, that's, that's the deal, you know? And I heard a, a podcast where Ashley McGrath was talking about, about the process of moving to Nashville. She's like, if you don't move here, it ain't going to happen kind of thing. Okay. Like, just, right. you just have to just literally come and just go, if I live in my car or whatever, you know? And so my, my friends and, and family, we did a GoFundMe, um, cause I wasn't playing any shows to make any money at this point to raise, raise, to GoFundMe, to get me to Nashville, um, and uh, and I, I uh, my buddies filmed a video and everything and made it really professional and helped me out. And so, I, I basically found a place I could rent a room, um, but the lease didn't start until July 1st. So, um, when I was ready to go, um, it was about almost two months before that date happened, I had to leave my dad's house because he sold it. Oh, wow! And so, I'm like, great, what am I gonna do? I'm gonna, I'm kind of homeless, sort of, I guess, in a right. sense. So. Um, I'm gonna go visit family in different states. I'm gonna I'm gonna drive all over America. I'm gonna sleep in in rest stops. I'm gonna go camping. I'm gonna like see America a little bit. And I did. And I went out by myself. And it was that was scary, you know.
0: I bet. What was that journey like? Of you know, just driving, and I imagine you had some sort of plan, but not always knowing where you were gonna sleep or not knowing what you were gonna do, and just knowing that eventually on this one date you wanted to be in Nashville, but where the road took you between then you weren't exactly sure.
1: Yeah, it, it was, there was times where it was like really freeing. And then there was times where it was really lonely and scary. Um, and there was times that were just fun, like, you know, um, but one of my most favorite stories I tell about this time was I, I went to Colorado and honest, I went to Frisco, Colorado, um, near Breckenridge and, and I, I looked at the mountains around me and I love craft beer and they had the most delicious beer at this place They're called out of range. And uh, I went in there and had some beer and uh, I'm looking around. And I'm like, yep, I'm not going to Nashville. I'm staying right here because it's <laughs> it so beautiful. I'm like, you know, I know that the weather is not great in Nashville and it's beautiful here. So I was there and I told my dad about it. He loves craft beer. And um, I don't know how it happened, but I somehow convinced my dad to get in his truck from California and drive all the way out to Frisco, Colorado to meet with me. And, and to hang out for a few days and go camping together and spend like three days together. And it was literally the most amazing father-son time ever. Uh, we just drank beer every night. We went hiking every day. Uh, we were camping in our tents. We loved that we had our good gear. We're like, oh, yeah, you know. And uh, the day that my dad left um, was the first time he ever gave me like a real a real nod, a real nod. And um, he's getting ready to leave and he unzips my tent. And he's like, hey, son, I'm, I'm taking off. I'm like, okay, dad, this was so nice that you came all the way out here. And he goes, Hey, look at me. And I was like, yeah. He's like, you're going to do big things in Nashville, you know? And like that, that was the, that was the the point where I went, I can do this. Like it gave me the, like the, all right. My dad just gave me an official torch passing nod, you know, and I I got this and that's really what lit some fire under my, you know, my keister and uh, got me out there. So.
0: And all the way along this journey, your parents, what have they meant? in sort of allowing you to chase your dreams have they always been there to support you and not necessarily say yeah you're going to get this but to just say if you want to do it then go do it we're not going to stop you
1: yeah I I would say um (laughs) just being totally like blunt I mean my dad he bought me instruments along the way so he supported in that way but he didn't really like you know it was kind of more of a hobby, you know what I'm trying to say? Like yeah. it, it, kind of how it was viewed and stuff like that. Right. Um, but then once I started getting more and more opportunities and my dad could actually like visually see what was happening, then it was kind of like, okay, okay. Like I, I kind of see this a little bit more. So, and maybe, maybe he didn't want it. Maybe he knew that if he told me early on, it wouldn't push me as hard. Cause I was wanting his approval so bad. Cause the, the moment that he did it, it was the right moment. You know what I mean? It wasn't too late. It wasn't too soon, you know? So I don't know. That's a, that's an interesting thought.
0: And now you moved officially to Nashville, July, 2020. And by the end of 2020 on Spotify, your sort of holiday rap that they do, you had 11.1 million streams and 2.7 million listeners. What were those like six months like in Nashville? Because that was just like a rocket taken off right all of a sudden I mean six months before you moved to Nashville you weren't ever planning to have a country music career then six months (laughs) later you moved to Nashville and then six months later all of a sudden you're thrown into the fire of having this country music career so what were those six months at the end of 2020 like
1: dude it was uh I guess a blur I, I would say it was a bit of a blur and uh that was the most anxious time for me. Uh because it was it was it was so new and so scary and I didn't know what was going on. And but I, I luckily had Joelle in my corner. I had my, my family in my corner. Um I had um Chief and Simon who managed me in my corner, Rusty Gaston at Sony and Maya. Um they were they were I had some good mentors around me sort of helping me along the way and stuff. Um, but it was a very fast pace, um, super exciting, super unexpected, so grateful for it. You know, uh, the day I signed my publishing deal with Sony, um, I had $14 left from that GoFundMe Really? and I had no idea how I was going to pay rent. And I was like five days late and I had three car payments due and I was like screwed, you know? Um, so honestly, just very, very anxious driven, but super grateful I'd say is, is how those, those six months felt.
0: And now as far as a publishing deal goes, and then signing with Sony Music in 2021, how do those two feelings differ? Because you mentioned with the publishing deal, now you can afford to live because as a songwriter, you're making money. But when you sign as an artist, like that's the dream, right? Now you get to be an artist. So yeah, how do those sort of differ from the feelings when you're signing them? Hmm.
1: Um, well, the way that it felt for me was, was when I had, when I signed my publishing deal, I I was over the moon. I was so excited about it. Um, and I spent a year, you know, writing songs, almost a year writing songs every day and, and, and learning to like learn my voice. And so I, the the easiest way to explain it is the the first year signed with Sony publishing felt like artist college, right? You know, like kind of. And, and like learning the craft of songwriting more, and realizing I've got a long ways to go. And, and like, I started taking vocal lessons and all this kind of stuff. So it really felt like a college kind of kind of thing. And then when I signed my record deal, I was just so thankful that I signed it and it happened exactly the way it did because I felt like I had written a little bit better songs and, and, and learned my voice a little bit more, have a long ways to go on all that still, trust me. But <laughs> um, But like enough to where I was like, I, I think this is good timing, you know? And uh, the day that they, they offered it to me, I just lost it. And uh, again, cried. Um, So uh, it it was a really, really, really special moment for me. And it was like, all right, the work begins, you know? And, and so um, yeah, I just, I'm, it kind of felt like, because I signed at Sony for both places, it felt like, like the right thing. It felt like, like Sony publishing was taking me to Sony records and kind of going like, here's our extended family. And, and, and and like my family just got that much bigger and uh, man, I couldn't have asked for a better team. Like they're, they're, they're the best in the world and they're so good at what they do and they're, they're so collaborative and I'm so thankful.
0: And you mentioned now the work begins. I wanted to ask you about the mindset now that you're an artist. Cause I talked to so many artists who say that it's the focus is always forward. It's what's to come, what's to come, no looking back. But I, when I look at sort of the progression that you've had within your career and the numbers that you've seen on your song. I noticed that in January of 2019, when you released one of these days, you had a post that it had 61,000 streams. And it was like, wow, look at this. And now with your latest single that you released, I Don't Want to Go to Heaven, it had over 2 million on-demand streams in the first week alone. Now, when you're looking at that, all of a sudden you're looking at the millions and you're looking, I have to get here. This song has to do this. It has to do that. But is it important to never forget that there was a time in your life where 60,000 streams was amazing. And if your next single doesn't get to 10 million streams, well, you know what? Maybe that's okay.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So good. Absolutely, man. Um, I, I it, that's something that's hard for me to do. It's hard for me to celebrate the wins a little bit. Like I, I really struggle with that. So like when right. I look at the millions, I don't ever look at it and go, man, look, you know, cause it, and when people congratulate me, it makes me laugh. Cause I'm like, I didn't, I didn't listen to it a hundred million times, whatever it is. I didn't, I didn't listen to it. Like y'all did that. I didn't do anything to do with that. And my, this is, this is a product of my team and stuff. So it's really just like a, everything's we at this point. So everything like, When when even when my team goes Nate, congrats on this. I'm like, no, 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 us. Like, because there's I'm I'm literally just uh like, uh like a teammate on this team called Nate Smith Music or whatever it is. Like, I'm I'm just one of the teammates on there, and and it's just great to see all of us, you know, moving forward. But yeah, you're right. I mean, it. I I don't get caught up in in a lot of that, and man, I'm grateful for all of it so much. So,
0: and all of your music you have mentioned you do it to connect with people you want the music to connect with people and is there a certain song along this journey since 2019 that you really felt okay like I found who I am I found my place I found my music this is really connecting with people and I love this or was it really from the beginning that you felt
1: that yeah that was always there where I felt like there was a there was a um... A connection with listeners and like people that like would tell me things with one of these days like this is the first time I've been able to cry since the fire and it's like helping me and my family we've had it on repeat it's helping us so much that was like my purpose in realizing that but um it was so sick to see like under my skin was the turning well wildfire really did that too but under my skin was like another turning point because then it went from this is a song we really like we listen to it on our boat wildfire all this kind of stuff to this is my f- song for my first dance in my wedding. Like then it was right. like, are you sure about that? Like, like <laughs> you want you a song I made to be the thing that you listen to every year you watch your home videos. You want this to be the one. And that's a, that's a very humbling thing when someone says yes to that. And that happened quite a bit. And um, that's what I'm seeing now is I'm seeing like songs that are really making a difference as, as I move forward. But yeah, I'd say under Miss Skin was probably the turning point where I saw more of that purpose getting actualized and um, even more of it. And I don't want to go to heaven now where people like there was um, long story short, there was a, um, a a woman who came with her kids um, to my show in Boise and her husband couldn't make it because he has terminal cancer and and he wasn't feeling strong enough to go that day. And she reached out to me. I'm like, oh, my gosh. So I did like a um, a video on my, on my TikTok, just saying, Hey, can you guys send a prayer or send a word of encouragement or whatever it is that you believe, like just something on there to kind of lift up, read. And he, it really meant a lot to him. And he posted a video on his page. The only video he posted on his TikTok was with my song. And uh, he actually passed away this last month. Um, oh, so wow. Chelsea reached out to me. So, um, we, we sent him flowers and, 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 um, I, I recorded a, a video of me performing it for the family. And they did that at the funeral and, and all that kind of stuff. So it's like it's having that kind of reach. And then it's also having like the, it's another song for people's weddings and stuff. So it's cool to see all that, you know, happen.
0: And now doing things for others, you mentioned doing that video and then you had mentioned um, the proceeds from one of these days and, and giving it to a mother. And then I saw on your Facebook back in January of 2019 that you had met a man outside Walmart who was down on his luck and you took him to a hairdresser to get them cleaned up and get them a fresh haircut. And yeah. I was just wondering along the way, that. like, what does that mean to you? What does it mean to you be able to be able to lift people up, not just with your music, but just as a person?
1: Uh, that's why we're here. You know, uh, I, I really believe that. So it, it's just, it just feels like that's what we're supposed to do. I feel like the only way we'll get more in our lives is when we're a resource for others and we're getting more because we're a resource for others. So I think that that's the, the, the point of the, all this is I really do believe in karma. I really do believe in like doing good and stuff. And I think, you know, I, I really feel like a sense of responsibility with this, this career and this artistship and these songs that, you know, that I'm, I'm in this position because I'm supposed to help other people. And if I was ever to use it for myself, the thing would be yanked away, you know, and, and, or it, it wouldn't. And I'd be really miserable. You know, so it's 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 everything that I'm built upon for my my that's like literally my motto and or whatever we want to call it, like what I live by. So
0: and as far as new music goes, we do have the algorithms nowadays that everyone tries to follow with singles and everything. But as far as your new music goes, what can fans expect in 2022 here? Can we expect a few singles sporadically or are you looking towards an EP or an album?
1: I think all the above is possible. Um, We've got a lot of songs recorded right now that I I got to do this last year and um, they're all mixed and ready to go. Um, So I think now it's just trying to be a little strategic, figure out the best way to put those out so that way they can have the most reach. Um, Because if we want to make a difference, then we want to make sure that it reaches a lot of people. So um, just figuring out the best way to do it. But I I wouldn't say that an EP or an album's off the table and I wouldn't say singles are definitely on the table. So, um, but there's a lot more coming out and I think you're going to hear um different sides of like what what i do and stuff so you've kind of heard the piano vocal thing i've got a lot of those songs those are my favorite personally um in a lot of ways but um you're gonna hear like my rocky side and you're gonna hear like um the poppier stuff that i do and different like elements you're gonna see a bigger picture of like what this thing looks like
0: thank you once again so much for listening and thank you to nate for stopping by and sharing his story Be sure to check out all of his music wherever you stream your music. Please also be sure to visit our website at countrymusicmademe.com. There you can listen to all of our episodes and you can also sign up for our newsletter to receive exclusive previews of upcoming episodes as well as fan submitted questions. You can submit a question and we will ask it to an artist on an upcoming episode of the podcast. Just head over to countrymusicmademe.com and hit the subscribe button. Thanks once again so much for listening, and we'll see you next time on Country Music Made Me.